All right, well, good evening, everybody, and I am really glad to be with you tonight. I hope that uh, your day is going well. This warmer weather on this Wednesday is a blessing and a reminder that we are not going to be stuck in the cycle of winter forever. And along those lines, I am glad that we will not be stuck in this way of doing Bible study forever. I'm looking forward to the day soon where we can be back together in person. And I am hoping that either after the 14th of March, when we get a little bit of extra daylight at the end of our day, or by Easter, we can start gathering together on Wednesday night. Not that we won't be able to stream it for those who physically won't be able to make it to the church in time, but I think a lot of us have been stuck at home far too long, far too often over this past year. So uh, a short Bible study conversation, a chance to get together is really, really a good thing, and I am looking forward to that. Tonight, I am experimenting with doing this as a premiere on Facebook, which is a little bit of a different way of doing it, uh, but uh, we are going to try to make that work for whenever it's a better option, but it still will be able for you to uh, engage with it both as we're doing it live or later on, and we are going to do our best to make sure that we also get the note sheets up there as well. So uh, if you can open those note sheets and follow along tonight. I think that will help. Certainly have your Bible as well as we study in the book of Ephesians and try to ask ourselves, what does God have for me? How should I live as a believer? Uh, let the word of God instruct me and teach me, get my uh, thoughts away from tuned into all the things the world wants to tell me that I have to be doing or should be doing. If I'm not doing it, I'm not a good person or I don't care or whatever and focus in on what the Lord has to say to us and follow along with the way that he is teaching us. I want to ask again that you would be praying with me about the potential for us as a church to see people regather. I know we had, uh, this past Sunday, we had about 250 folks at church between the two services. As we get towards Easter, as the numbers keep going down, uh, I am very, very hopeful that it will be an opportunity for us to invite everyone who has been stuck at home or nervous or, or concerned or upset or whatever about coming to church to come. Because many of you have not been to church in the past year as many times as you used to go to church in a week. So we have to get deliberately past some of this stuff and get back to some of the things that are foundational and core for us as believers. And I am praying that we can do that together. I am praying that God will allow that uh, at Easter at least so that we can start rejoining one another. And really, we have to work to come back together. It isn't going to be as simple as just saying, okay, everything's open. I don't know that there's ever going to be that time because there's never going to be a time where there's no risk. Whether coronavirus is at a high risk or a low risk, it's always going to be around. And there are all kinds of other risks as well. But we choose to get together because getting together is a core of what it means to be a believer. And so I'm hoping that God will open those doors and that we will be praying that God will allow us to do that and uh, that if you've been stuck at home, that God will begin to shake in your heart and move in you and, and mold you to the place where you can feel like it's time and I'm ready to come back because we would love, love to have you back at church. All right, tonight we are in Ephesians chapter 5. Last couple of weeks, we talked about verse 3. Tonight, we're going to pick up in verse 4. So I want to read verse 3 into verse 4 because verse 4 starts with a nor connected to the things that were in verse 3. And it says this, But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. 
nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. As I read that verse, I don't know, especially verse 3, I don't know that there is a, a more ignored verse in Scripture by Christians today than this caution from Paul that we should not, as believers, have even a hint of sexual immorality among us. I think we're far past that line in church. And we need to take his, his warning, his instruction, to heart. Because what Paul argues here, not only about immorality, but also about greed we saw last week, is that these things don't work. And we know they don't work. We know that they are a lie, that the promise that they offer that everyone sucked into is a lie. It isn't the hope for your life. It isn't real satisfaction and real joy. And yet we talk and act and think like it is. We make decisions like it is, and it wrecks people's lives. So not even a hint of sexual immorality or of impurity or of greed. And we talked last week a lot about greed, that human tendency to believe that fulfilling my desires is the ultimate form of satisfaction and enjoyment. If I could have what I want, everything would be good. That is a human thought, is a natural thought. It isn't even an evil thought. It's just wrong. It's a lie, and the best lies are the ones that sound good and everybody agrees with them. This idea that if I could just have what I want, I would be happy. And we know it from experience. How many times have we had what we wanted and it didn't make us happy? Or it only allowed us to be happy for a short period of time and then right back to the hunger. Greed is improper for God's holy people. We talked about how greed could be called always wanting more, a never-ending thirst, constantly, constantly chasing. Jesus, in the parable we looked at last time, said greed is thinking or seeing everything that I've been given as, be, as for my enjoyment, pleasure, and benefit. The, the parable of the rich fool, be on your guard against every kind of greed. And the parable goes on to show that although God blessed him, he decided it was all for him. And God said, you fool, this night will be required of you. Then whose will those things be that you have stored up for yourself? I will give them to others. You won't have them. Even though you thought they were for you, they were never all for you. And so those things being improper for God's holy people, the idea of us being set apart, being different, we got to get comfortable again with being different from the world, from not allowing the world to set the game board and playing along to their rules. We've got to get comfortable again with being people who are out of step with the world. I think that many of us feel panicked and some religious leaders well-intentioned want us to get panicked about what's happening in with the laws and the, the representation and the government of our society. I get it, but it has not been the norm through history that Christianity has been in step with the laws of their country. The vast majority of Christianity has been that real believers are out of step with those who are in authority and power and with the culture around them. We live differently and we, get, we need to get used to, real comfortable with being out of step with reality. That comes from a deep settled belief that God is right and we don't need the culture to agree with us for us to follow it. And we don't need the culture to follow us for us to follow it. We want to follow it and so we will. Their answers, they can flounder for their answers. We're going to follow the word of God because it has hope and life for us. And so while he says those three things, 
sexual immorality, impurity, greed are improper for God's holy people. Verse 4 then begins this, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Thanksgiving we'll, we'll get to next week. But these three things that Paul says should not come out of our mouth. And this is very practical teaching, especially in the world in which we live. This is very, very practical teaching. Types of speech that we as believers should not use. The first one is obscenity. What does Paul mean by obscenity? He is talking about shameful or indecent language. Talking about things that are debased and disgraceful. Things that God attaches guilt or shame to. Things that are dirty, unholy. Things that people's consciences should naturally have shame for. And yet, as we talk about them, we call it obscenity. As we talk about them, we get less and less shame-filled about them. This would include casual conversation about what is evil or wicked. Even a, a longing kind of idea of, man, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't that be great if you could just rob a bank and get away with it? Wouldn't that be great if you could just kill somebody that, that really got on yours? Wouldn't it just be great if you could uh, you know, stomp them down and raise yourself up? These are all counter to what we learn through the gospel. And yet, we talk about it, but it's just talk. Somehow we've taken the Bill of Rights and our First Amendment, the right to free speech, and we've made it Christian, that we should have the right to free speech. And since it's just talk, it's okay. But we don't, we're not governed as believers by the Bill of Rights. We're governed by the Word of God. So there are things that we should make sure don't come out of our mouths. And the first thing is obscenity. It could also refer to making jokes about something in an inappropriate way. Making light of something that God says is serious. That would be obscenity. And here we could definitely include foul language. Words that are considered curse words or, or crass, things that, that make us seem not as with the Lord to the world around us as we should want to be. So why shouldn't we use obscenity? It may seem obvious, but sometimes it's good to think that through. Somebody came and said to you, why don't you use obscenity? What would you say? I mean, assuming that you don't. What would you say? Why don't Christians use obscenity? What's the problem? Why, why don't you do that? I tried to think about that a little bit, and I tried to put down some words to it, but these are, these are not inspired words. I think all of us have to have an answer for that, because if we don't, then we shrug our shoulders and say, I don't know. I, I, I guess I just shouldn't. And that's a pretty weak motivation for us to live by the Word of God. So asking ourselves, what is Paul warning us about? Why, why is there danger here? Think that what comes out of our mouth is a lot more important than we give it credit for. One of the things that's supposed to come out of our mouth is the testimony of the saving grace of Jesus. And when that comes out of your mouth alongside of other things like obscenity, it takes the message that we've been entrusted to and the purpose of our life on this earth, and it diminishes it, it shades it, it darkens it. And because of that, we should say, well, I don't want something like obscenity to, to take away from this kind of speech that I think is eternal, I think has value, I think it will last. Obscenity traffics in topics and language that don't represent what we value, and they don't reflect our Lord. 
when we talk about things that are evil or wicked. And I would say some of that comes from a culture where the media and, and our art forms, whether it be music or movies or television or books or whatever kind of storytelling slash art you want to talk about, they are all about this is real gritty. This is real life. This is, this is what, what this is like being real. And we get drawn into like, I want to be real. I don't want to be pie in the sky, rosy glasses. And so I'm going to kind of talk about the dirt and the grime and the grit. And we start to get into this casual conversation about things that don't reflect what we value, what we believe, what our Lord has instructed to us. We don't represent how we're following Jesus when we speak obscenities. It causes us to voluntarily identify with things that belong to darkness. Later in this passage, we're going to get down to this, but verse 8 to 12, Paul says, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, not obscenity. Find out what pleases the Lord and have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful. Here's that idea of shame that's connected to obscenity. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Even for us to talk about what the disobedient do in secret, because even when their godlessness is running their life, they are still aware that there's shame attached, so they hide it. And for us to talk about it, for it to become start of our lips, it, it increases the shame and we voluntarily identify with it. We embrace it. We put a spotlight on it. We focus on it. We, we kind of point it out and, and elevate it in status as though it's something worthwhile. We as believers do not seek to normalize or glorify things that should not be a part of our lives and should be rejected as godless. We are supposed to be, as Paul says, light. Live as children of light. We are not supposed to be people who reflect the values of this world and walk in the ways of this world. Paul begins this chapter by telling us to walk in the way of love, not in the way of darkness. Obscenity is something that should not be coming out of our mouth. The second part, he says, not only should there not be obscenity out of our mouths, but foolish talk should not be coming out of our mouth. You say, well, I say foolish things all the time. Um, or I'm just joking around. Does, does God not have a sense of humor? We'll talk about that in a second. But this idea of foolish talk really is refers to someone who has no understanding, no appreciation, and no honoring of the truth. They have not accepted it or adopted it. The best understanding of this term foolish talk is referring back to the fool of Proverbs. One of the big themes... Proverbs is a book of wisdom, and it starts off talking about wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And throughout the whole book of Proverbs, there is this theme that is interwoven throughout it of the wise and the fool. There's a, another category that, that uh, I heard Henry Cloud talk about before, which is also the wicked. The wise, the fool, and the wicked. The, the wise is one who sees the truth. It's not somebody who always does the right thing. In, in Proverbs, the wise person is not someone who always does the right thing because even wise people are imperfect people. They're still human beings. But the difference is that the wise person loves correction. They love rebuke. They love to be instructed in the truth. They listen to those who've gone before and have things to say. The wise are people who embrace the truth and want it in their lives. And they are learning and working out, how do I live what the truth is? How do I live in response to the truth? That's wisdom. That's the wise person. The foolish person is somebody that 
hears the truth or is exposed to the truth and just it never sinks in. It never gets into for any number of reasons. There's a lot of them that we're going to kind of take a look at as we go through this survey of Proverbs, but it, it kind of bounces off them. If you go back to the parable of the sower and the seed, a, a lot of people think that that is a parable about salvation and that's an application of it, but it's a parable about hearing and receiving truth, even for believers. I know there are times in my life where I've been all those kinds of soils, even as a believer, when God comes with truth and tries to tell me something, I can be the hard soil that the birds come and snatch it away. I can be the, the rocky soil where the roots only go down so far, but I won't let it go any further. I can be the person where the weeds choke it out, the cares of this life choke the truth out from me. And I can be the one with abundant fruitfulness because of the miracle of the power of the word of God growing and, and taking over my life. So I've been all of those people. But the fool is somebody where it kind of just bounces off of them. It doesn't can never really take root in them. Uh, it, in some senses, never even grabs a hold of them. It's the, the pathway. They're just hard. And so it never has an effect on them. The foolish person is someone who has wisdom around them, truth around them, but it never changes their life. The wicked person is someone who enjoys doing what is wrong. The wicked person is someone who says, I know what's right to do. I don't like what's right to do. And I don't want to do. I rather would do what's wrong because I believe it has more value I believe it would be more enjoyable. It is the path I want to take. And with eyes wide open and a heart that is hard, they choose to walk in the wrong direction. Foolish talk here refers back to that fool of Proverbs. One who either is ignorant to truth, they just don't know it, they, they haven't heard it or they haven't listened to it, or one who ignores the truth. They've been told it, it's been presented to them, but they just ignore it and, and go on about their lives. It can include things like Worrying. Foolish talk is worrying. And worrying is foolish talk. Worrying is not adopting the truth of the Word of God. Just this, for one example, Jesus said, I will be with you wherever you go. I will be with you to the end of the world. Fear not. Do not be afraid. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. So I have all of this truth in front of me about the, the presence the power, the watch care of God in my life, that, that Jesus is present, that the Spirit resides inside of me, that I am kept, that I am held, that I am sealed, that my life, that nothing in my life can't be worked out for good, Romans 8. Like, I have all of these promises from God. But worrying, in order for me to worry, I have to take all of that truth and ignore it. See, so that's foolish talk. Or fear-mongering. If I'm going to try to make my children obey, or I'm going to try to make my employees obey, or if I'm going to try to motivate myself by fear, I'm taking truth, similar kinds of truth from the Word of God, that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And I'm ignoring it. And I'm saying, no, no, I choose fear as a weapon and a tool anyway. Even though God doesn't use it, I will use it. So foolish talk can, can include that stuff. Talking like God is either not good, or not in control, in spite of the truth that he both is good and is in control. It can be speech that ridicules what God has said. Talking, and our culture loves to do this, talking about how outdated God's standards are for living. 
I understand that there are appropriate discussions about how we have maybe overstepped or gone too far or, or twisted God's word into something more than what God's word actually is. I understand that sexism is a terrible evil and, and treating women as less than men is an awful thing. But it does not negate the discussion in 1 Corinthians 11 about the headship of man in a home. It does not negate other passable par parables and, and passages in Scripture where God speaks about this idea of what leadership means. And so we are out of step with the world, but if I just throw all the, the Word of God out, I think we can have better discussions about those things than just ridiculing something God has said. Uh, people, why would you give your money to the church? That makes no sense. You know, the church is just out there. They're just greedy. They just, they want to have people in service because they just want people to give money. No, I think the word of God is pretty clear that we are to give. I think there's many, many passages, not only Old Testament, but New Testament that talk about giving to the work of the Lord, supporting those places where we come together. There's a lot of passages about that and giving sacrificially, giving generously. This is a part of what it means to be a believer and be a Christian. Well, why would you do that? You can barely pay your own bills. Why would you why would you give to a church? I can understand giving to somebody who's disadvantaged, maybe more disadvantaged than you, but giving to a church, that makes no sense. You see, when we start talking like that, we're talking foolishly. When we reject and we don't engage the word of God, when we just brush it aside and we say God is out of step, God is out of date, or things like God is a, an imaginary figure made up by people, this is foolish talk. Larger spectrums would be lying, flattery, hateful words, abusive words, things that come out of my mouth that reflect foolishness. So why do we avoid foolish talk? Let's go back to the book of Proverbs. I'm just going to give you a bunch of verses here that are in your notes and, and give you some of the ideas of what Proverbs defines a fool as. So Proverbs 1.22, fools hate instruction and knowledge. That word hate talks about that they, they just brush it off. They just dismiss it. They see it as non-valuable, not worth engaging in their life. Proverbs 10, 18, fools spread slander. They talk about other people. Fools hide hatred with lying lips. They cover up a genuine problem with lying, so they compound it. Not only is there a genuine problem, but they make another problem by lying about it. Proverbs 10, 23, fools find pleasure in wicked schemes. I wonder how much of our entertainment is included in that. Proverbs 12, 16, fools are easily and quickly annoyed. Is that anybody? Easily and quickly annoyed. Proverbs 14, 3, fools speak out of their pride. Proverbs 14, 9, fools ridicule, making their wrongs right. Well, why would I go back and apologize to them? Why would I make that right? Why would I seek to be restored to them? Why would I go beyond what they, if they're not going to do it to me, I'm not going to do it to them. Proverbs says that's a fool who ridicules making their wrongs right. Proverbs 14, 16, fools are hot-headed, short-tempered, quick-fused. Proverbs 18, 2, fools love to fill the air with their opinions. Wow. I don't, I don't think it says social media, but I think it may apply to that. Fools love to fill the air with their opinions. Proverbs 28, 26. Fools trust themselves. This is the picture, part of the picture, Proverbs gives us about the foolish person. And when we think like this and talk like this, I don't need anybody to tell me anything. Uh, did you hear what happened to that person? 
oh man, wasn't that awesome? What I watched this show last night. Did you see what they did? I know it's wrong, but did you see what they did? Man, I can't believe that person. They're always on my nerves. When we have that stuff coming out of our mouths, the foolish talk coming out of our mouths, it is not fitting for God's people. Talking like this says to people that we have rejected God as our Savior and our Redeemer, even when we have it. It gives an impression that we are not following the one that we say has all the power to do all the things that are good, that we have an ultimate hope that is unshakable, and yet we talk and live like this. We use our mouths to push away what is right, to push away humility and the actions connected with it, and instead we embrace a life that is in opposition to who Jesus was and who we're called to be. So foolish talk is not something that should come out of our mouths. Last one is coarse joking. Coarse joking is a very interesting Greek word, and we get to this idea of coarse joking in the NIV. What it literally means is it's, it's a double entendre. It, it means talking about things that are lewd, having a wit uh, about how you say it. And the, the, if you understand the, the syntax, the, the grammar behind it, what it says is what you said isn't dirty in itself, isn't wrong in itself, but everybody knows what you mean. I think that's a very interesting thing for Paul. Like, there's all kinds of big issues here that Paul's going after in Ephesians. But to talk about obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking. And before this, to talk about not even a hint of sexual morality. <clears throat> it seems like Paul is telling us that these little weeds grow into big problems. And we need to be more serious about following Jesus in our mouths, in what we say, in what we talk about. Coarse joking doesn't do us any good and doesn't do the hearers any good, as we talk about things that are inappropriate, as we make light of things that are sacred, as we dis dishonor and devalue things that God has given honor to and value to. So it doesn't reflect that we receive those things from our Lord with grateful hearts, with humility, coarse joking. So why do we refuse to talk like this? The effect of joking like this is to make us comfortable with and normalize what is immoral. The implication is that we talk about it in such a way that it sets everybody at ease and everybody feels comfortable, and then we've normalized, and this is a process that's been happening certainly in our culture for decades, we have normalized something that is immoral, and everyone's comfortable with it. We do not want to be on that boat. We do not want to be a part of that. We do not want to normalize what is immoral immoral. We want no part of that direction or that activity. We do not want to be on that pathway and a partner in that kind of work. Paul says, these are out of place. These are out of place for us. Again, just like I've told you so many times, Paul doesn't say, don't do these things because God will be mad at you. He does not say, don't do these things or you won't be a believer anymore. And as a matter of fact, we're going to get to that next week because some people think the next verse says, if you do these things, you won't be a believer anymore. That's not what Paul says. What Paul constantly says is, don't do these things because that's not who you are. That's not what you value. That's not who you follow. So don't do these things. These are not for you. You don't have to blow towards the world when they do things that are lost. They, they, they live immoral, greedy. They live with obscenity, foolish talk, and course. You don't have to be all upset about the world doing that. But you need to choose a different path. I need to choose a different path. 
together collectively, we need to walk this together. I think one of the things that is most heavy on my heart, it's why you keep hearing me talk about, we need to regather, we need to find a way through this, we need to find a way out of this, we need to get back to meeting together in person. And, and if anything inside of your mind is like, yeah, I would, but that's not the work of God. At this point, that's not the work of God. Because we can't do this kind of stuff in isolation. We can't walk this out, learn it and live it and, and, and help one another with it in isolation. We have to come together. We have to choose together. And the more that we choose together, the more the Spirit of God uses the body of Christ so that this truth becomes a part of our life. And we go forward by faith in Him. I'm praying that our church and each one of us as brothers and sisters will take the Word of God to heart here. We will watch what comes out of our mouth. We will make sure that it reflects our King, our Lord, the glory that is ours, the hope that is ours, the goodness that is in this life and in this world that reflects a good and loving Creator, that we won't be constantly sliding down into the mud and doing things and being a part of stuff that, that, that grieves the heart of God and brings sorrow to the Spirit of God in us. I pray that we won't do that. I pray that we will allow God to set a guard at our lips so that what we say begins to work its way back into how we think, and how we think comes from a deep place of what we believe and who we are. All right, I will look forward to seeing you guys soon, and we will pick up there next Wednesday night.